Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. Hope you had a good weekend. Today we continue our series of conversations with the candidates. My guest is Delegate Mike Rogers, a Democrat, one of 22 announced candidates running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District Democratic Primary. The 3rd District encompasses Howard County and parts of Anne Arundel and Carroll Counties. The incumbent who holds the seat, John Sarbanes, will retire from the House of Representatives next January. Delegate Rogers was elected to the Maryland General Assembly in 2018 to represent District 32 in Anne Arundel County. He serves on the Economic Matters Committee, and he is the first African-American to chair the Anne Arundel County delegation in the Maryland House. He's a graduate of the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and Duke University. He holds master's degrees in contract management and national resources strategy. Delegate Rogers served in the United States Army Medical Service Corps for 29 years. He had several combat deployments, including to Iraq and Afghanistan. He was in charge of major health care administration and medical logistics across the United States. His career took him to four continents and 32 countries. Delegate Rogers is 59 years old. He turns 60 next week. He and his wife live in Laurel. They are the parents of three adult children. We'll take your calls for Delegate Rogers a little bit later in the program. You can drop us an email in the interim, midday at WYPR.org is the address. And Mike Rogers joins us on Zoom from Washington. Delegate, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom, thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you for that very generous introduction. You know, my mom would be proud. Well, there you go. We got to keep mom proud. That's what it's all about. Um, tell us about your career in the military. A lot of folks uh, do uh, aspire to political office after some time in the military. But but what exactly did you do? You were doing uh, uh, medical administration and, and medical stuff in general. Uh, but, but tell us about uh, the specific experience you had. Sure. So it was it was an incredible experience. Uh, I like to say the military was really the family business for me because my grandfather served, my father served. Actually, my son is now serving uh, in, in the Maryland Guard and in ROTC. So it really was an extension of, of something that I really knew. Um, I had the opportunity uh, to serve all over the world, as you stated, but primarily uh, dealing in the healthcare arena, uh, specifically with respect to medical logistics and uh, government contracting. So the first half of my career, I spent a lot of time at different hospitals uh, to include deployed hospitals. And then uh, the latter part of my career, I, I spent a lot of time doing uh, acquisition and procurement for the military Department of Defense. And uh, you were also uh, saw uh, quite a bit of combat, uh, according to your your bio. Explain uh, what that combat, you know, the, the, the ramifications of that, the, the what what those experiences were and how you think uh, they have those experiences have shaped you uh, in, in the political arena. Sure. Uh, I guess my first combat tour was in Somalia. Um, um, and I had the opportunity. It really helps define who you are under stress and, and, and uh, making sure that, you know, despite a very stressful situation, you're still able to accomplish the mission. Um, after my time in Somalia, I would uh, go on to serve in, in other countries, but then come back to the Middle East, uh, particularly in Saudi Arabia from 2004 to 2006, where really was focused more on geopolitical uh, 
of issues um, and serving in Saudi Arabia. And then and I was in Kuwait from 2010 to 2012, where um, I was in places like uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, um, really all throughout the Middle East. If you've just joined us, I'm Tom Hall. It's our Conversations with the Candidates series. My guest is Delegate Mike Rogers. He's uh, on a Zoom call in a fairly noisy room uh, somewhere in Washington, D.C., so uh, my apologies for the the background noise. So, uh, Delegate Rogers, in the military, you know, you retired, as I understand it, as a colonel. Um, So that's a, you know, a a, a ranking officer that's that's high up the chain of command. Um, you led people, uh, you know, units and even uh, bigger groups than that uh, in combat situations. But when you're when you're the boss in the military, uh, you're the boss. You get to do what you want to do. You get to decide what's in the best interest of the mission, what's in the best interest of keeping your troops safe. Uh, and you issue the order and those orders are obeyed. Um, doesn't work like that in Congress. Um, how how do you see that you know that military experience, that military structure, the military hierarchy, uh, you know, uh, informing uh, how you can act uh, as a legislature? A legislator, you've been in the Maryland legislature legislature now for four or five years. Um, what what is the the parallel? Because on on a certain level, there doesn't seem to be any parallel at all. You know what I mean? All right, Delegate Rogers, can you hear me? I, evidently, I think uh, you're uh, you're muted. Um, um, can you hear me now? There we go. That's a little bit better. Okay, great. I was just trying to adjust location so that it would be a little bit quieter. But uh, great. Uh, yeah. So I, I I caught part of what you said and, and you sort of fell off. But if you could just repeat the question, I'm happy to answer. Sure. As a military person, as a commander of a unit uh, and commander of combat troops uh, or even, you know, running uh, offices in non-combat situations, you're the boss. You get to decide what's in the best interest of the mission and what's in the best interest of keeping uh, your soldiers safe. Um, And you get to issue the order and that order is obeyed. Uh, It doesn't work like that in a deliberative body of 465 people. Uh, And there's even some, uh, you know, there there are proposals to expand the size of Congress uh, so that people are in Congress representing fewer constituents, uh, the idea being that they could be, you know, closer to the ground. Um, I just wonder, what what is, people talk about leadership in the military, and clearly, you know, military is a a place that has produced uh, any number of, you know, very great leaders uh, in the course of history. But but the how do you see the lineage between uh, the military hierarchy, the military structure, and the legislative process? Well, so leaders have to inspire people. And I think it's important as you inspire people, you know, it's about part of that's building relationships. And I think that that's something that's in common with being in in the legislature. So I would say Particularly, you mentioned my time as a chair of the Anne Arundel County delegation. During that time frame, that particular that year, everything that that was passed that year, all the bills that I brought for for on a bipartisan basis, um, where I was able to reach across the aisles with my colleagues, and, and they were all unanimous. And so I think that's important, and I think that's part of leadership. I think that's part of 
inspiring people that that you work with, um, you know, and because I really view leadership from a servant leadership perspective, and and you really want the folks that you're leading to follow you. And so when you're in a collaborative body, those relationships, that relationship building is critical. And being able to reach across the aisles is something that I've prided myself on. And I think a lot of that comes from, uh, you know, what some people might call the institutionalization that I got during the military. And by institutionalization, what do you mean exactly? So a, a very structured process. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you learn how to work with people from from all walks of life. You know, when you're in a foxhole, when you're in a combat situation, people don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. You're there to work together. You're there to accomplish a mission. And I think that transcends um, to the, the legislative process and being able to work across the aisles to get things done. Yeah, of course, um, they don't care in the foxhole uh, by any means, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. But in the House of Representatives, they care a lot uh, because people have been voting, you know, uh, with their tribe, with their party uh, along strict party lines. Now, uh, even even those votes that are are animated by the extreme wing uh, of the Republican Party or even in some cases, the Democratic Party. I mean, Anne Arundel County is an interesting uh, delegation in that uh, there is representation from Republicans and Democrats. So you did have to work uh, with people from both parties in terms of chairing that delegation. What do you think the the key is to getting uh, cooperation, to getting uh, people where they are willing to make compromises, they are willing to, uh, to, to look to solve problems in a bipartisan way? Because there's been so little bipartisanship on the Hill uh, these last few years in particular, uh, it just seems like a really difficult thing to achieve. So, Tom, I, I think you're, you're spot on. And, and, and Anne Arundel County's delegation is unique. I used to tell my uh, colleagues that were from Montgomery County, uh, Prince George's County, Baltimore City, that unlike your delegations, I actually have Republicans in my delegation. So it's, it's, it's sort of a different um, flavor, if you will, but I think building those relationships, understanding what's important to other people and trying to meet people where they are, where you may not always necessarily agree, but if, if you have a conversation and you have the relationship and you can sort of help people to understand how their needs are being met in a particular piece of legislation or on a particular issue, they're more willing to say, okay, well, you know, maybe this is something that I can support. And I think that um, I just demonstrated being able to do that quite well. Now, certainly Washington is in Annapolis. However, I think that skill set is something that will serve me well in Washington, D.C. What do you think is the cause of the great cynicism that the American public apparently has about politics, the political process, and Congress in particular. Um, the, the latest polling that I've looked at in terms of the approval rating of Congress has it at about 15%. That means 85% of Americans disapprove of the job that Congress is doing. We've got the leader of the Republican Party, the leading nominee, uh, under indictment in four states and 91 counts. We've got uh, senators like Bob Menendez, a Democrat, uh, who's also uh, being investigated for uh, aiding and abetting a, f- a foreign country. Um, we've got we've got all sorts of reasons to uh, to wonder uh, about the integrity uh, of people in 
the United States Congress. But does it go deeper than that? What's your take on why so many people disapprove of the job Congress is doing? I think, Tom, you, you did a great job of illustrating the answer to your own question. When you have people whose integrity is is not above reproach, when you have people who've demonstrated a lack of integrity or some of the, the drama that you see in Washington, D.C., people become suspect. And I think it's important to, um, you know, do the right thing and, and, and carry yourself in such a way that, you know, people see you as beyond reproach and that you do have integrity and, and character. And those are things that people value. And, and again, I, I think that's part of the institutionalization from the military because those, those certain qualities and characteristics that the military instills at you that, you know, are just probably, you know, layered on after what your parents taught you, I think that goes a long way. And so to your point of that poll, I think if you look at the same poll and you ask how many people in, trust the institution of the military is significantly higher. Now, the military isn't perfect, but it does and is a microcosm of society. And I think when you put people together from different walks of life and and you come together to form a team, to accomplish a mission, people respect that. And I think that I can sort of take that same same way of doing business and, and accomplish the mission and getting the things done, getting things done for the people um, to Washington. Um, I've uh, mentioned this uh, in the past, but it bears mentioning again in terms of the actual raw data. This year, this Congress, the House has voted 749 times, and only 27 bills have become law. So there is uh, a deadlock that is just uh, impervious. It's just really difficult for anything to get done. Um, as a new member of Congress, and in fact, a delegation, the congressional delegation in the state of Maryland will change dramatically. There'll be three new members of an eight-member congressional delegation uh, after the election in November. Um, as a new uh, congressperson, if you're elected, um, what, what do you think your capacity to uh, to to get Congress as a whole to, to, to move the ball and, uh, and, and, you know, move the needle in terms of uh, finding common ground and finding uh, bills and, and legislative actions that everybody can, in fact, agree on. You're, you're one of, of many. Uh, what's your approach to making a difference? Great question. So <laughs> my answer is probably not what you're expecting, but I think it starts with constituent services. I think it starts with keeping the people that you represent informed of the process and what's going on. I think it's responding to your constituents and making sure that they have a problem with a passport or they have a problem with another issue that's a federal issue, not a state issue, that you deliver for them and, and, and you be responsive to them. And I think to the extent that you do that, that's what's going to keep you there. You know, and you know, kudos to John Sarbanes for doing exactly that you know, hosting town halls to let folks know what's going on, because you're right. You know, I I don't expect to go down to um, Washington, D.C. and pass the number of bills that I've passed in Annapolis because it's not Annapolis. But what I will do is make sure that I keep my constituents informed, let them know what's going on, uh, respond to their problems, make sure that if there's anything I can do possibly 
uh, anything I can do possible to make sure that their needs are met from that standpoint, I will do that. And I think I've got a great track record of doing just that in my legislative district. So by the time the dust settled Friday night, which was the deadline for people to file with the Board of Elections if they intended to seek uh, any office, uh, in the 3rd District, in the Democratic primary, there are 22 people uh, who are vying for the job you're vying for. Um, I, I have to ask everybody, you know, what what is it uh, in particular that voters need to know that distinguishes you from the other 21? So I think uh, we talked about it at the beginning of the call, but it really kind of comes down to leadership and experience. There is no other candidate on the ballot of the 22 that you've mentioned or that you the number that you gave that have the blend of leadership and experience, both legislative and in the military. So I've led organizations at every level from a platoon to a company, to a battalion, to a brigade across the world, quite literally. I've run billion dollar programs, the TRICARE pharmaceutical program. There's no other candidate in the race that can say they ran a $50 billion program responsible for making sure that 9.1 million military beneficiaries got the pharmaceuticals that they needed. There's no other candidate in the race that can say that they ran and they were in charge of a $1.8 billion foreign military sales program with geographical, geopolitical implications in the Middle East, um, making sure that, you know, our strategic partners, um, you know, their their programs of, of F-15s, M1A2 tanks, and Patriot missile systems were served. There's no one in the race that has that experience. And I think when you couple that with my legislative experience and, and successes in Annapolis, I'm the only candidate that brings that to the table. Lots of great candidates, but when you talk about what makes me different, I think I just laid that out. Delegate, excuse me, Delegate Mike Rogers is an Army veteran and delegate from Anne Arundel County. He is a candidate to fill the third district congressional seat, which will be vacated when Representative John Sarbanes retires next year. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, you are welcome to join us if you have questions or comments for Delegate Rogers. Our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wipr.org if you'd like to be involved in this latest installment in our series of conversations with the candidates. And before we go to a break, I want to acknowledge the passing of a friend and former colleague here at WYPR, Karen Hostler, who died on February 1st. Karen was a reporter at WYPR and a fill-in host on this show for 12 years, from 2008 until she retired in 2020. She brought a world of experience to our humble newsroom in those days. Karen covered the White House for the Baltimore Sun during the Reagan, H.W. Bush, and Clinton administrations, and she covered state politics in Annapolis with unparalleled insight. She was an avid runner and a rider of horses and a lot of fun to hang around with. Karen Hostler was 75 years old. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up on the show tomorrow, it's midday on the counties. 
I'll speak with WIPR's John Lee about the controversy over mixed-use legislation in Baltimore County. And Susan O'Neill joins me to talk about the work of the Upper Shore Regional Council and the issues affecting Cecil, Kent, and Queen Anne's County. So that's coming up tomorrow. And if you just joined us today, we're continuing our series of conversations with the candidates with Delegate Mike Rogers, who's running for Congress to represent the 3rd Congressional District. That district includes all of Howard County and parts of Anne Arundel and Carroll Counties as well. You are welcome to join our conversation with Delegate Mike Rogers. 410-662-8780 is our number here at Midday. Our email midday at WIPR. So, Delegate, let's talk about a few of the issues that uh, Congress uh, continues to grapple with. We have a question about health care from Jackie, who says, You enjoy the benefits of the Veterans Administration, a single-payer health care system. You're running for a seat currently held by Congressman Sarbanes, who is a co-sponsor of the Medicare for All Act in the U.S. House, which would create a single-payer health care program for all U.S. residents, if elected, would you also co-sponsor Medicare for All? Yes. And what do you think the prospects of that are, given the current, uh, number one, the current popularity of Obamacare? The ACA has more adherence now and more people signed up than ever before. Uh, and it uh, certainly doesn't seem to be top of mind uh, in either um, the Republican or Democratic leadership in terms of legislative initiatives uh, in the near future? So I think it's it's an education process. I think, um, you know, we have to explain to, to people to include legislators why it makes sense and 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 why it can work and, and, and what some of the savings that we can generate as a result. You know, I know in the military we had something called TRICARE and um, it was a great program. Was it perfect? No. Was it a panacea? No. But did it provide, you know, members and, and their families with a, a health care benefit that worked? Yes. And so I think, you know, we certainly have to look at the best way of doing it. But I think, you know, health care should be a fundamental right. And, and we need to figure out how we can get that done. So explain what TRICARE is and how that might be applied uh, outside the military to the larger uh, public uh, as a whole. Sure. So TRICARE is the health benefit for military members and their families. And, 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 and what it does is it says that, okay, if you agree to serve, if you agree to put your life online, that basic health care you will have and your family members. And so um, that's the, the military benefit. Um, I think there are probably ways that we can figure out, you know, how we can make that work for um society writ large and i know that that's really sort of the goal of um you know health care for all and i think we just need to try to figure out how to way uh, figure out a way on, of how to get it done do you see any openings for that do you see uh, any groundswell of uh you know support uh to once again take up the issue of health care i mean it it, it uh, you know, took up so much of the uh, of the air in the room uh, during the first few years of the Obama administration, and then the Republicans, uh, I guess, it was close to fifty times uh, held votes to uh, repeal Obamacare. That failed, and then we haven't heard about it uh, very much since. Do you think that there is uh, a continuing 
uh, groundswell and, as I said, you know, uh, uh, openness to an effort to uh, have a single-payer health care system in the U.S.? Well, Tom, I, I think there is. I, I think the prime example is that this was the first question that you asked because there's people out there, there are people out there who really want to see this get done. I know there are advocates in my district who support it and have have been trying to educate uh, constituents across Anne Arundel County about why it makes sense and how we could do it. I think we just have to figure out the messaging so that, you know, people understand the benefit and as well as the cost. And I think there is room for it to get done. And, And to your point, you know, um, folks have tried to poke holes at Obamacare for years and it's still standing. And so I think that, you know, we are in a, at a place where we can sort of move to the next level. And we just have to figure out how to do that. Um, you're exactly right. Um, we have, uh, I think, you know, put uh, much of the, the contentiousness and the arguing about Obamacare behind us. But uh, when it comes to a single payer health care system, you know, we have people on the left uh, who are not very happy about that idea as well, particularly unionized workers uh, who consider their employer based health care to be a, a very good benefit and a, a real perk of the job. Do you have concerns uh, about them? So I I think, again, that's where the education piece comes in. And and I think we have to look at, you know, allowing folks to sort of kind of and I remember this um, three, almost four years ago during the last um, presidential election where there's a discussion about if you have something, you know, we'll let you keep what you have. But we want to make sure that everybody has something. And after everybody has something, then, you know, once those folks that have a program that they like and they can see some of the benefits, then maybe we can come up with something that is amenable for everybody. So there has to be the education process on what it looks like. But if you have something, you don't want to lose what you have. And I don't think that we have to do that. I think that people can keep what they have. And then as we as we progress to what what it looks like for everybody to have something, you know, there'll be more folks that might be um, amenable to saying, well, let me try this benefit because at least it allows me to be covered. But for people to have nothing and for people to just show up at the ER just to get health care because of cost or because of access, that that's just not the right answer. Delegate Mike Rogers is running in the Democratic primary to succeed John Sarbanes in the 3rd Congressional District. He's one of 22 candidates in that primary race. Our number here at Midday, if you have a question or comment for Delegate Rogers, 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at wipr.org. I'm Tom Hall. Delegate Rogers currently represents Anne Arundel County in the Maryland House of Delegates. Um, Delegate, let's talk about reproductive health care and women's uh, reproductive health care on the national level. Do you support, uh, would you support legislation that would codify uh, the parameters uh, that were uh, outlined in in the Roe v. Wade decision, which, of course, was overturned by the Supreme Court a year or so ago? Um, Yes, and I think Maryland has a good example of where we just did that. In the in the, at the state level, you're talking about correct, correct. And and do you think that a federal uh, a, f- a federal statute uh, codifying those parameters uh, is the way to go, or do you think this should be, in fact, something that the states figure out uh, each each state unto its own? 
I think that um, I would be in support of, of, of giving women reproductive choice at the federal level. Uh, let's talk about immigration. Uh, how do you see the current problem of immigration? We've, of course, uh, had this uh, ridiculous, frankly, situation last week uh, in which a bipartisan group of senators came up with uh, a very conservative bill to uh, strengthen enforcement uh, of immigration and to limit uh, immigration, uh, including some legal immigration, uh, in an effort to to stem the tide of the, the huge numbers that are crossing the border uh, each month. Um, where, h- How do you explain to people what's going on at the southern border, uh, and how do you explain to them uh, what you think should be done? So I, I, it's pretty hard. I mean, one, not being at the border, but, but seeing um, what's being reported. Um, I think it's important that, that we do have um, a process and, and what that process looks like. We, we sort of have to define, and I know um, Congress has been grappling with that for years, but there should be a, a path for citizenship for those folks who, that are already here. But we do have to um, have some order in terms of our borders and, 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 you know, the borders just, you know, they can't be porous and, and we do have to have a process for people to, to be able to come in in a path to citizenship. Let's talk about foreign policy. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, as a member of the military, you have been literally around the world, uh, various com- uh, continents and uh, some 32 different countries you've worked in, uh, sometimes for you know fairly extended periods of time. Um, what do you think the U- U.S. posture needs to be, uh, for example, in the uh, situation, uh, the war between Israel and Hamas? What should the U.S. be saying to Israel, what kind of support should the uh, United States uh, provide to Israel? Uh, and have we, uh, you know, have we, have we handled, uh, has the president and the administration and the current Congress handled that relationship uh, correctly in your view? So first and foremost, um, Israel has a right to protect itself. Um, I, I believe in that. Anybody who has been hit um or, or um, well, we'll leave it there, hit. They have the right to protect themselves and the right to respond. And, and so I think what we do have to do is, is work with our partners um, and our allies to come up with a solution that works. Um, and and I, I, don't, I know that we're, we've attempted to do that and we're still in the process of trying to do that. Um, but and, and a lot of that's, you know, is communication and having the right people at the table to have those discussions. And so I think we need to do everything that we can to try to come up with a solution to a very complex situation uh, in the Middle East. But it's not just the Middle East. It, it's also, um, you know, standing with our, our partners in, in Ukraine. And it's also making sure um, our alliances with other countries across the world to include uh, in Asia to make sure that we um, continue to stand with them. Um, The president Thursday night in a press conference uh, said that he thought the response and the the conduct of the response to Hamas uh, has been, in his words, over the top. Do you agree? I think that... um, 
you know, genocide is not a solution. Um, but I think that, you know, we have to have constructive, constructive conversations about how we can end the violence in the Middle East and move towards a situation where um, folks can live in peace. Do you think Israel is, in fact, uh, uh, engaging in genocide? I think that um, they have to look at, um, you know, you know, in the military, there's a term called proportionality. And, and, and so you have to look at what that looks like and, and how you can have a conversation to bring about the peace that everyone desires. And how, how does one determine proportionality? This is something that people have been thinking about since the 7th of October. What's the proper you know, level of response to the hideous attacks by Hamas terrorists uh, on that uh, that historic and fateful day. How, 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 what, are the, what are the metrics do you think we should apply, uh, employ to determine what a, a, a correct and proportional response is? That, that's a very good question. I think that, you know, um, you, you do have a right to respond. And, and after you respond, typically that sends a signal. And Typically, what I've seen work is after that, you have a conversation about, you know, how we can, you know, preclude things uh, being exacerbated or uh, just a proliferation of additional violence. I don't know that that necessarily occurred in this particular instance. I think there's conversations that are ongoing right now where they're trying to come up with solutions. And I think we need to do that, continue that. Delegate Mike Rogers, he is running in the Democratic primary to succeed John Sarbanes in the 3rd Congressional District. He currently serves in the House of Delegates. We'll have more with Mike Rogers when this edition of Conversations with the Candidates continues after a quick break. To join our conversation, 410-662-8780 or send us an email midday at WIPR.org. I'm Tom Hall and we will be right back. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Representative John Sarbanes is one of nearly 50 members of Congress who have announced that they will retire at the end of their term. Each member of the House and Senate who is leaving, of course, is doing so for his or, own, his or her own reasons. But frustration with the legislative process, which is frequently disrupted by extreme members in the majority caucus, is surely a contributing factor to the mass exodus. I've mentioned that before, and it remains true. If you've just joined us today, it's another installment of our series of Conversations with the Candidates. My guest is Anne Arundel County Delegate Mike Rogers. He's running in the May 14th primary to become the Democratic nominee in the 3rd Congressional District, the seat currently held by Representative Sarbanes. Several other members of the Maryland General Assembly have announced their intention to seek the nomination as well. That list includes Senators Sarah Elfreth of Anne Arundel County and Senator Clarence Lamb of Howard County, Delegate Terry Hill from Howard County, Delegate Mark Chang of Anne Arundel, and Harry Dunn, a former Capitol Police officer, has also 
announced his candidacy. 22 Democrats in all have filed uh, to be on the ballot in May. Nine Republicans have filed for that office as well. So as much as Congress is derided in public opinion polls, as I've said before, there is no shortage of people who aspire to join its ranks. Delegate Mike Rogers is with me today until the top of the hour to join our conversation. Our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at wipr.org. So, Delegate, um, let's talk about Ukraine. Um, uh, Again, the uh, Republicans uh, began uh, this uh, odyssey when Ukraine funding ran out by linking it to uh, a deal on the border. Uh, That deal was uh, made, and then they abandoned that deal. Um, If you you were a sitting member of Congress right now, what would you do uh, given this situation where the Republicans have had uh, a change of heart about the importance of a deal for the border, and they are linking it, they continue to link it to aid for Ukraine. So I would have um, certainly tried to de-link uh, that, that proposition because, again, uh, we need to stand with our allies and, and we need to continue to support Ukraine. And I think it was really a travesty that, you know, one party decided to link the two um, and because, you know, it's, it's apples and oranges. You're, you're comparing and, and, and you're trying to pull together two things that, that really are not related. And I think it was unfortunate that they did that. And again, I think that that's um, it's a travesty. Well, they would relate it in the following way. And how would you respond? They'd say that, you know, why are we uh, helping to secure Ukraine when we haven't secured our own country uh, in the U.S.-Mexico border? How, how, do you, how do you respond to, to someone who holds that view? Well, I would point out the fact that, you know, we've had longstanding alliances with our allies in Europe and, and that they are also uh, supporting Ukraine, Ukraine. And I would also point out the, the, the wider implications of what happens um, if, if, if Ukraine falls and then what happens next and, and a possible ripple effect. Kind of reminds me of the old um, Fram oil filter commercial for those folks that are old enough to remember that. I'm, I guess I'm dating myself. You pay me now or you can pay me later. And um, if you don't deal with the situation now, it's going to be a lot more costly later. And I think that Ukraine sort of falls into that, that, that category. Let's go to Steve, who's on the line from Cockeysville. Steve, welcome to Midday with Delegate Mike Rogers. And Steve, are you with us? Yeah, hi there. Hi. What's your question for Delegate Mike Rogers? Well, it, it's more of a comment. Um, I think all the arguments against aid for Ukraine are specious when considering the Munich Agreement in the 1930s and how that turned out. Uh, I mean, it's sort of he who ignores history is doomed to repeat it. And I'm not sure why there hasn't been more comparisons made to that. And that's all I have. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Delegate. Do you have anything to say about that? No, thank you for that comment. (laughs) I would agree. Um, uh, If you are elected, what committees would you want to serve on? 
I would love to serve on the uh, House Armed Services Committee. Uh, if if yeah, that that's the top of my list. And uh, in terms of what uh, the country is currently doing for veterans, where are their deficits uh, in that uh, care for veterans uh, when they come home? Uh, what do we need to do better when it comes to uh, our policy when it, uh, as regards veterans? So I think, um, you know, there's still some issues around uh, veteran suicide. I think there's still issues around uh, mental health and making sure that the, the mental health treatment is there, particularly with regard to those folks that are, are, are suffering with uh, PTS. Um, I think, you know, there's still issues surrounding uh, veterans homelessness. And I think that those are all things that, that we can get after as a country um, by applying um, the right resources, but also the right programs to, to sort of kind of help with that. Is it your... Uh, observation and opinion that the problems in the Veteran Administration, the the sort of nuts and bolts problems of delivering service to veterans, which were uh, very much top of mind and in the news during the Trump administration, uh, is it your observation that those problems have uh, largely been addressed? I mean, is the is the efficacy of the Veterans Administration uh, adequate at this point? Are are we are we delivering the goods uh, the the services that we are promising? Uh, are we delivering them in an efficient and uh, uh, you know appropriate manner at this point? Um, I think we've gotten a lot better. I think there's still room for improvement, but I can remember um, the challenges you know dating back to you know, 2014, 2012, 2016, that time frame where there were veterans that were um, struggling to get access and, and, and you know, were dying because they, they couldn't get appointments. I know some of the programs that the uh, Veterans Administration has, has put in place with regard to allowing folks to see outside providers using um, uh, provider networks uh, to help them get care, at least on um an initial basis has been helpful. Um, is it perfect? Are there still rooms for improvement? I believe there is, but I know the VA is continuing to pr- improve. And, and, you know, as someone who takes advantage of, um, you know, the VA's um, healthcare services, um, I- I've seen significant improvement. Uh, Representative Sarbanes, whose seat you are uh, aspiring to hold, uh, has been uh, for years now uh, a leader in the fight for voting rights uh, and for uh, changing the, uh, the 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 federal statutes around voting. Uh, that legislation that he sponsored, you know, some years ago, uh, has not been able to proceed uh, because of uh, Republican opposition. Um, what do you? Uh, intend to do in 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 that regard uh, in terms of the the issue of of voting rights and and the federal um, the federal application of statutes to improve them. So I mean, voting rights are are non negotiable. I mean, many people have died for the right to vote, and um, you know, many of my ancestors have died for the right to vote. And so I think we need to do everything we can to prevent protect the right to vote. And I will certainly do everything I can as a member of Congress to make sure that, you know, voting rights are protected and that everybody has a right to vote. 
Do you support term limits for uh, people elected to the House and the, the Senate? I think that we definitely have to look at that. I think that no one needs to be there forever. Um, I think we have to look at what that number looks like, whether it's two terms, three terms. But I, I do believe that no one should be in, in the House of in Congress, whether it's the House of Representatives or the Senate forever. Uh, so in terms of the kinds of limits, should it be a number of terms served? Should there be an age limit? Uh, how do you see the best way of, uh, of, of, of enacting that? So I, I think it should be a, a number of years. Um, I think if, if, you know, I've, I've, I've heard things like, um, two terms in the Senate, you know, an equitable number of years in the house, um, and I think that that's something that we definitely need to take a look at because I know that we have had people that have been there forever. And, and you know, I just don't see where that's all that helpful. Um, we just have a few minutes left, so I want to uh, touch on some other issues. When it comes to economic development here in Maryland, how do you see your capacity as a member of the House of Representatives uh, to help uh, move along projects that uh, you know have state support that but also need federal report uh, federal support well if 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 uh, the folks that are currently there uh, folks like uh, you know Senator Van Hollen and, and Senator Cardin and Congressman Rupersberger and uh, Congressman Sarbanes they they've done um, Congressman and Fume the, the entire Maryland, Maryland uh, delegation congressman leader Hoyer um, they've done a great job of, of making sure that, um, you know, projects have been uh, funded in Maryland. And, and one of the things that comes to mind, you know, in my legislative district is, is some of the, the road widening outside of Fort Meade. Um, some of the efforts to plug the potholes on 295. Those are incredibly helpful to the constituents in, in Maryland. Um, not just my legislative district, but, um, you know, across the state, um, funding for uh, the Chesapeake Bay. Um, those are all things and projects that, you know, that federal funding is, is critically important and allows Maryland to be the gem of a state that it is. And in terms of being a freshman legislator, because legislator, whoever wins this seat will be be new to the job. Um, where do you see the openings? Where do you see the the strategy for getting yourself in a position where you really can affect change uh, sooner rather than later? You're, you're not going to have the the longevity, the seniority of a John Sarbanes or a Dutch Rupersberger or a Steny Hoyer. So I I, I would certainly. Um articulate my uh, background in uh, the military, hoping that that would uh, land me on the, uh, you know, House Armed Services Committee. Of course, you know, I'll serve and, and grow wherever I'm planted. Um, so just having the opportunity to serve is, 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 is a wonderful thing. Um, and I understand that, you know, it, it's about, you know, building relationships and, and demonstrating the competency to do the job that sort of kind of, you know, gets you noticed. And, you know, what I have learned is that whenever you put in the work and, and you do a good job, you have the opportunity to, um, to move up. 
And so that's exactly what I would try to do. All right, Delegate, that's all the time we have. Mike Rogers is an Army veteran and delegate from Anne Arundel County. He's running in the Democratic primary in the 3rd Congressional District. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tom Hall, for the opportunity. And uh, would love the opportunity to answer any more questions that folks might have. Okay, you, so you can hear all of our conversations with the candidates when you go to our website, WIPR.org. I'm Tom Hall. Here and Now is up next. Stay with us. Have a great day. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WIPR.